This is Imaging of Pheochromocytoma. I'm Dr. Dan Koval, and welcome to Radiologist Headquarters. So an overview of what I'll be talking about today, I'll give you a general background about pheochromocytoma, including typical clinical presentation and epidemiology, and then we'll talk about the imaging appearance for ultrasound, CT, MRI, and functional nuclear medicine studies. We'll talk about extraadrenal pheochromocytoma, or paragangliomas, and then we'll go over some mimics. So starting with a case, this was a contrast-enhanced CT scan of the abdomen through the level of the kidneys and lower adrenal glands. And there is a complex mixed cystic and solid mass in the region of the right adrenal gland. You can see that it's impressing upon and displacing the right kidney, but it does not seem to be arising from it. There is at least a partial fat plane separating the two structures. And then this coronally formatted image also shows the mixed cystic and solid mass, which turned out to be a pheochromocytoma. So these are rare tumors that arise from chromaffin cells, and they have variable catecholamine secretion. And the diagnosis is made through biochemical evaluation. And there are different ways to do that that are not really agreed upon. A 24-hour fractionated urine metanephrine evaluation could be obtained. You could evaluate for urinary catecholamines. Total plasma metanephrines can be measured. And plasma concentration of free metanephrines can also be evaluated. So any combination of these biochemical assays can be performed. And because the catecholamine secretion is variable, the symptoms are also variable. The typical symptoms for pheochromocytoma will be headache, palpitations, sweating, and hypertension. But they can be asymptomatic. In this case here was actually an asymptomatic presentation that was detected incidentally. In this example though, this patient was very symptomatic. These are flare images of the brain. Flare stands for fluid attenuation inversion recovery which is a T2-like sequence that has suppressed CSF signals, so the CSF will look dark, and it brings out white matter abnormalities. And indeed, there are bilateral frontal and left parietal occipital areas of white matter signal abnormality, indicating encephalopathy, and that was due to this right heterogeneously enhancing solid adrenal mass, which was resected and determined to be pheochromocytoma. And this is an example of hypertensive encephalopathy secondary to pheochromocytoma. So most cases of pheochromocytoma are sporadic, with the mean age of presentation in the 40s. And younger presentation will be seen in patients that have a genetic predisposition. And those patients that will have a hereditary form of pheochromocytoma may have one of these syndromes, von Hippel-Lindau disease, multiple endocrine neoplasia type 2, neurofibromatosis type 1, and this one's a bit of a mouthful, pheochromocytoma paraganglioma syndromes associated with succinate dehydrogenase gene mutations. And that's something that will typically be tested for in patients that have paraganglioma. You can think of pheochromocytoma as the 10% tumor, because 10% of the time it will be bilateral, although in patients that have an inherited form of pheochromocytoma that's usually higher, 10% will be extraadrenal, also known as paragangliomas. 10% typically have calcification, 10% will occur in children, and 10% will be malignant. And the only reliable imaging feature for malignancy for pheochromocytoma will be the presence of direct invasion into an adjacent vessel or organ, or if there's metastatic spread of disease. Just the appearance of the tumor by itself, even if it appears complex, is not a reliable indicator of malignancy. However, since they have a malignant effect on the patient's physiology, they tend to be removed, usually laparoscopically. Also, when pheochromocytoma occurs in children, it tends to have a higher incidence of malignancy, unfortunately. And then also, they tend to enhance to greater than 110 Hounsfeld units on an arterial phase CT scan, which I'll discuss more in a few minutes. 
Now, it used to be thought that approximately 10% of pheochromocytomas were inherited, but that number has actually been found to be higher. About 25% uh, of patients carry some kind of gene mutation. Let's look at an ultrasound case. This is an image of the left upper quadrant. You can see the spleen anteriorly there, and then there's this solid heterogeneously hypoechoic mass in the region of the left flank, posterior to the spleen. And this was a pheochromocytoma on ultrasound. So most pheochromocytomas will appear solid on ultrasound, but there are varying degrees of complex cystic and solid pheochromocytomas. And if there's hemorrhage, that may appear echogenic within the mass. And they may also be hypervascular. This case showed moderate hypervascularity when we apply color Doppler. Now this patient also had a CT scan. This was actually an aortic dissection protocol. So we're looking at an early arterial phase. You can see the aorta enhancing brightly and the kidneys are in an early cortical medullary phase of enhancement. And there's this large mass in the region of the left adrenal gland. If we look at the axial images, and these are maximum intensity projection series, which give you a thicker slab and bring out the areas of hyperdensity in the individual voxels, these areas of hypervascularity within the mass stand out a bit more as the serpentine vessels coursing within and surrounding the mass. And this is typical for pheochromocytoma. And there was actually a study that evaluated whether dual phase enhancement patterns could be used to differentiate adenoma and pheochromocytoma. What the investigators found that on studies where there was an arterial phase, arterial phase enhancement levels greater than 110 Hansfeld units and lesion heterogeneity should prompt consideration of pheochromocytoma. They also found that there was no adenoma that enhanced more than 85 Hansfeld units in the arterial phase, whereas most of the pheochromocytomas, 58%, were more than 110 Hansfeld units enhancing. They also found that adenomas tend to enhance more in the venous phase, which occurs after this arterial phase. So the bottom line is if you have an arterial phase, like you may have on a CT angiogram or other multiphase study, Look closely for incidental pheochromocytomas as you might identify them by a small area of hyperenhancement, especially if it's greater than 110 Hansfeld units. Now let's go further into the CT appearance for pheochromocytoma. This was a non-contrast CT scan. This is actually the same case I showed you earlier with the patient that had the hypertensive encephalopathy. And the density of this mass is 30 Hansfeld units. So if you remember from the adrenal adenoma lecture, this would not be consistent with a lipid-rich adrenal adenoma, right? Because that should be 10 Hansfeld units or less. So if we continue with the three-phase adrenal CT protocol, the portal venous phase density was 95 Hansfeld units, and then the delayed, which is typically 15 minutes delayed, density is 66 Hansfeld units. And if we put those numbers into the adrenal washout calculator, we get an absolute washout of 45% and a relative washout of 31%. Now, are those washout percentages consistent with a lipid-poor adrenal adenoma? No, they're not. If you have an absolute washout less than 60% and relative washout less than 40%, that's not consistent with adenoma. So just like on ultrasound, the majority of pheochromocytomas on CT scan will appear solid, the remaining complex or cystic. Here's an example of a solid pheochromocytoma, and this one is a mixed cystic and solid pheochromocytoma, the cystic or necrotic components non-enhancing. And it's extremely uncommon for pheochromocytoma to be purely cystic. Usually there'll be some degree of complexity. And the solid components will tend to show robust enhancement, as you can see there. And most pheochromocytomas will have a non-contrast density of greater than 10 Hounsfeld units. Here's a different example of a pheochromocytoma with non-contrast density of 35 Hounsfeld units, so well above 10 Hounsfeld units.
And the absolute washout will tend to be less than 60% with relative washout less than 40%. Again, that's similar to adrenal cortical carcinoma and metastases. And on CT, 10% will have calcifications. Now, a comment on pheochromocytoma and CT contrast. So there's a historical theoretical risk of catecholamine secretion causing life-threatening hypertension, or a catecholamine surge, after the administration of iodinated CT contrast. And because of this, for years, pheochromocytoma was considered a contraindication to iodinated contrast injection. However, studies have actually shown that this surge is extremely unlikely with current non-ionic CT contrast agents, even without alpha-blocking medications given beforehand. Therefore, pheochromocytoma is not considered a contraindication to modern iodinated IV contrast media. And you can read more about that in a study by doctors Bessel Brown and O'Malley in AJR. Now, looking at pheochromocytoma on MRI, again, it can be solid or mixed solid and cystic. It's rarely primarily cystic, but it usually has some thick enhancing wall and possible septations. And the light bulb sign is classically described as a markedly T2 bright appearance of the pheochromocytoma, as in this case. Remember that fluid will be bright on T2 weighted images. You can see the CSF in the spinal canal is very bright on that lowermost T2 fat saturated image. But this is an unreliable sign. Studies show that it's seen in 11 to as many as 65% of pheochromocytomas. And it's also not specific for pheochromocytoma. They can also be T2 hypointense as well. And the appearance is variable. They can be homogeneous or heterogeneous with hemorrhage and areas necrosis and calcification. Here on this T1-weighted image, which is actually an in-phase image, these areas of dark susceptibility artifact correspond to old hemosiderin deposition from prior hemorrhage. There's also a faintly visible T1 hyperintense hemorrhage level within that cystic component, which likely represents a more acute area of hemorrhage. And the solid components will usually be hypervascular, as denoted by that orange arrow. Again, the cystic and necrotic areas will not enhance. Also, pheochromocytoma usually does not show dropout on opposed phase T1-weighted gradient echo images. And that's how you can differentiate them from lipid-rich adrenal adenomas. Now let's look at an example of that. So here's an in-phase and opposed-phase T1-weighted series, and there's a right adrenal mass. On the opposed-phase image, do you see any signal dropout? No, there isn't. You guys are getting good. <laughs> so you're not thinking that this is a lipid-rich adrenal adenoma. And if we look at a true FISP image, FISP is a balanced steady-state free procession sequence. Its signal is actually based on a T2 to T1 ratio, but you can think of it as a T2-like fluid-sensitive sequence. It's a really useful sequence. The right adrenal mass here shows solid components and also T2 bright cystic components. And if we look at the post-contrast image, those solid components enhance, whereas the cystic areas do not. So let's take a further look at the post-contrast appearance of this particular mass. So this is a T1 fat-suppressed coronal post-contrast arterial phase sequence, and you can see it's an earlier phase. We have the aorta enhancing, and then the kidneys are in the cortical medullary phase of enhancement. And this right adrenal mass is very hypervascular, but the cystic necrotic component is not enhancing. It's remaining T1 hypo-intense. If we look at a later portal venous post-contrast series, that mass is still enhancing, and the cystic necrotic areas are not. So this is typical for pheochromocytoma, showing that early arterial enhancement with non-enhancement of the cystic necrotic areas. And this is just a 3D rendering showing the hypervascularity of the mass and its relationship with the adjacent right kidney. Now what about the functional imaging appearance of pheochromocytoma? Well, here's that earlier case that I showed you with the right pheochromocytoma. 
And then here's a planar whole body scintigraphic image also showing avidity in that region. And this is an MIBG scan. Specifically, this was an I-123 MIBG scan. MIBG stands for meta-iodobenzylguanidine, and that's why we just call it MIBG. <laughs> and it can be radio-labeled to either I-131 or I-123, but I-123 has pretty much replaced I-131 for MIBG scanning just because it has a lower radiation dose and the image quality is superior. So the normal activity that you'll see with an MIBG scan includes uh, liver uptake greater than spleen, and compare that to a white blood cell or pentatriotide scan where the spleen will be more avid than the liver. Also, salivary gland uptake will normally be seen, as in this case, you can see that the parotid and submandibular gland show activity. And then you'll see normal soft tissue and blood pool uptake. You will not see bone marrow uptake, and that's one way you could differentiate this scan from a white blood cell scan. MIBG is useful because it has nearly 100% specificity for pheochromocytoma. Studies show a range of 95 to 100% specificity. And sensitivity is as high as 90%. So it can be used to confirm clinically suspected pheochromocytoma and also to evaluate for metastatic disease. In this case, there was no metastatic disease. The avidity was isolated to that right pheochromocytoma. So there are certain tumors that will show increased uptake on an MIBG scan typically pheochromocytoma and paraganglioma, as in this case, but also neuroblastoma, which is a pediatric adrenal tumor. Other tumors can also show uptake, but they have a lower sensitivity for detection on MIBG scan. That includes carcinoid tumor and medullary carcinoma of the thyroid. And then other nuclear medicine studies that we could do to evaluate pheochromocytoma include indium-111 pentatriotide scans and FGG PET scans. However, these tend to have lower sensitivity and specificity for pheochromocytoma, and that's why MIBG is typically considered a first-line scintigraphic examination for pheochromocytoma. However, though, these two studies can be useful for pheochromocytomas that are dedifferentiated and therefore MIBG negative. All right, let's move on to a different case. Here's a large retroperitoneal mass that has solid and central necrotic or cystic components and it's in the mid to lower abdomen extending into the upper pelvis. It's very nonspecific at first glance. You may think of a sarcoma or neurogenic tumor. However, if we look a little more closely, you can see that it's actually occurring anterior to the aortic bifurcation. There are the common iliac arteries demarcated by the arrows. And when you see a mass in this location, you should be thinking about paraganglioma which is an extra-adrenal pheochromocytoma. So remember, 10% of pheochromocytomas will be located outside of the adrenal glands. Most occur in the abdomen, and many occur in this region, which is the site of the organ of Zuckerkandl, which is a small mass of chromaffin cells derived from neural crest located at the aortic bifurcation or inferior mesenteric artery origin. You can also have pheochromocytomas in the retroperitoneum, and often they're periadrenal and difficult to differentiate from adrenal masses. Um, they can occur in the bladder wall, mediastinum. They can also occur in the heart as well. So let's take a look at an example of a paraganglioma. This is a three-phase CT scan. If you've seen Introduction to Genital Urinary Radiology Part 1, you'll recognize the non-contrast cortical medullary and nephrographic phase images from a CT urogram. If you haven't seen that lecture yet, well, it's waiting for you. <laughs> and there's a mass here medial to the right renal hilum. It's fairly solid, it has a punctate calcification, and it's demonstrating heterogeneous enhancement. If we look at the coronal images from the same series, again, you can see that it's medial to the kidney. It's definitely not where you'd expect the adrenal gland to be. 
So there was a clinical suspicion for pheochromocytoma, and an MIBG SPECT CT was done. And this fuses SPECT images on top of a CT scan, and in that same region of the mass, you see marked avidity. And this was the coronal planar image showing that same finding. There's, the, again, the normal liver uptake for an MIBG scan, physiologic. And this turned out to be a retroperitoneal paraganglioma, well encapsulated at the time of surgery. And after this was removed, the patient's hypertension and symptoms of catecholamine excess resolved. Now, unfortunately, a pheochromocytoma can sometimes mimic other tumors. And that's because rarely they may have a non-contrast density of less than 10 Hounsfeld units on a CT scan, and sometimes also show greater than 60% washout on a multiphase adrenal CT. And in that way, they act as an imaging chameleon and mimic adrenal adenomas. And there's a great radiographics article by Dr. Michael Blake that highlights more the chameleon-like nature of the pheochromocytoma. Also, they can appear T2 dark. They often don't have that characteristic T2 light bulb bright appearance. Conversely, though, other adrenal lesions can sometimes mimic pheochromocytomas. Let's take a look. So this was a large right cystic mass arising from the adrenal gland. You can see the claw of adrenal tissue there on that lowermost image showing adrenal origin. But then there's also this lobular soft tissue there in the anterior superior aspect of the mass as it abuts the liver. If we look at that coronally, we again see that claw denoted by the green arrow, showing that that's adrenal origin, but then there's this other soft tissue superiorly. So an MRI was done, and on this T2 coronal image, we again see that area of possible nodularity within the super aspect of the lesion. The cyst itself is extremely bright on T2, and you can see it's iso-intense to the fluid in the adjacent common bile duct, which is expected for simple fluid. On the post-contrast images, we again see the normally enhancing right adrenal gland from which this cystic lesion arises from in this unusual area of soft tissue nodularity. So it was unclear as to whether this was related to the adrenal gland and just a bit of displaced adrenal tissue since it was enhancing iso-intensely to the gland or if it was actually a true intracystic nodule. So the possibility of cystic pheochromocytoma was raised. However, again remember that pheochromocytoma is a biochemical diagnosis and a biochemical assay was performed, plasma metanephrines and 24-hour urine catecholamines and metanephrines, which were negative. Despite that, this mass was still removed because it was large in size and symptomatic, and turned out to be a benign unilocular epithelial-lined simple adrenal cyst. Let's look at another case. This is a non-contrast CT scan showing a right adrenal mass. Measuring the density of that mass, we get a non-contrast density of 15 Hounsfeld units. So that's not consistent with a lipid-rich adrenal adenoma, right? So a three-phase adrenal washout CT was performed, and that demonstrated a less than 60% absolute washout. So that's also not consistent with a lipid-poor adrenal adenoma. This patient also had an MRI, and on these in-phase and opposed-phase T1-weighted images, you can see that there's no signal dropout on the opposed-phase image. So this is not a lipid-rich adrenal adenoma, which we already knew. Incidentally, you could see some susceptibility artifact on the in-phase image in the region of the gallbladder fossa corresponding to cholecystectomy surgical clips. If we look at the T2 fat-suppressed images, this mass looks cystic and solid. These T2 bright areas indicate a cystic or even necrotic component with the hypointense areas representing solid tissue. And these coronal T2-weighted images without fat suppression show the same thing, a mixed cystic and solid mass. Looking at the post-contrast images on this early postgalenium phase series, the mass demonstrates heterogeneous enhancement. It's not extremely robust, but it's definitely enhancing on this early phase. 
looking at a later portal Venus equilibrium type post-contrast series, the mass is demonstrating continued enhancement, and then the cystic necrotic areas are not enhancing. They remain T1 hypo-intense. So pheochromocytoma was suspected on imaging, but it was excluded due to normal plasma metanephrines. Again, pheochromocytoma is a biochemical diagnosis. And it turned out to be an adenoma with cystic degeneration on surgery. This was removed laparoscopically because even though pheochromocytoma was excluded biochemically, there was suspicion that it may be a functioning adrenal adenoma causing subclinical Cushing syndrome. And just to further bring home the point that imaging cannot really distinguish pheochromocytoma from other tumors, these are two of the cases I've already showed you. One of them is a pheochromocytoma, and the other one is a cystic adenoma with degeneration. And you can see that they're extremely similar in appearance on both T2 and post-contrast imaging. And this was the pheochromocytoma. This was the adenoma with cystic degeneration. Again, one had abnormal biochemical profile indicating pheochromocytoma, whereas the other did not. And that concludes imaging of pheochromocytoma. Thank you for staying till the end. If you enjoyed this video lecture, it would be fabulous if you left a review and subscribed to Radiologist Headquarters on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Facebook, and you can like and follow us there. You can also subscribe on YouTube and click the bell icon to receive a notification whenever a new episode comes out. Thank you.